I want to read uh, from actually two different verses. One is from the Hebrew Bible, the other from the New Testament. But the first one is found in Malachi. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? So why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? And then in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In February 1947, in Greenville, South Carolina, a white cab driver was shot and killed. There were some witnesses from a distance who said it was a black man. And so they quickly arrested Willie Earl, Earl is his last name, and they took him to the jail. And later, um, a large mob came and took him, and they drove him out into the country where they beat him, and then they lynched him. And it was later discovered that Willie Earl most likely was innocent. Willie Earl was the last black person lynched in South Carolina. When I read the story, I started wondering, I wonder when was the last lynching in my home state of Alabama? It was a young black man named Michael Donald, and it was 1981, the year I graduated from college. I doubt he was the last, but one of the most infamous lynchings to take place in Pinellas County was John Evans um, in St. Petersburg in 1914. Between, between 1880 and 1940, nearly 5,000 black men and women were lynched in the South. In February 1947, in Greenville, South Carolina, Reverend Hawley Lynn was the pastor of Grace Methodist Church. He was a recently widowed father with two young children. He was white. And the Sunday after Willie Earl was lynched, he preached a sermon titled, Who Lynched Willie Earl? And the gist of his sermon was that every person who had not stood up to racism bared responsibility. Now, one of my favorite Methodists, William Williman, wrote a book about the lynching of Willie Earl and the sermon that followed. Uh, so I stole the title of uh, Holly Lynn's sermon for mine, although I am not as brave as Holly Lynn. But I do think there's something going on in our culture that we have to talk about as Christians. Racism and white supremacy and Christian nationalism and neo-Nazi and pure race ideologies are actually growing in popularity among some. Their numbers are increasing and they get bolder. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, there are 68 active hate groups in the state of Florida. That's the second largest number in the nation. So as followers of Christ, we know that racial hatred and religious hatred and any kind of hatred or ideas of, of racial superiority are, to put it simply, it's a sin. It's contrary to the kingdom of God. 
It is incompatible with the life and the gospel of Christ. So what can we do about it? You know, here in the Florida Conference, one of our goals is to be an anti-racist conference. But how do you do that? You know, what is our role as followers of Christ in a culture where we're seeing a rise in racism? How do we speak the truth in love to the culture around us? Well, this morning, I'm just going to tell you my story. Um, and it's a little more personal than I really like to get, but um, I want you to know what I've learned as I've struggled with racism in my own life. And if anything I say resonates with something that's familiar with you, then I hope that it will help. And if not, then I hope it will at least help all of us to better understand and confront racism in our culture. I was raised to be a racist. That's just a fact. I, I love my family. They are wonderful people. They have always been good to me. But many of them were, and some still are, um, prejudiced. Pretty much like everyone, just about everyone else in the community where I grew up, in the time I grew up. And I was taught that people, white people, were just superior. And I get pushback on that sometimes, and people say, well, they didn't really actually teach that, but if you're taught that you're probably smarter, probably work harder because of the color of your skin, that, that's, that's, that's white supremacy. That's by definition, that's what it is. And so uh, I was a child in, in the 60s, and I was a teenager in the 70s, and so often what you're taught as a child is what you, know, you believe as a child. I can still remember seeing fountains that were marked white and colored. I have seen Klan rallies. I have seen Klan marches. I have seen crosses burning in a field. I, was, I remember that you know, I lived 40 miles from Birmingham. And when Bull Connor turned the fire hoses and the dogs loose on children and teenagers who were marching, I was told he had to do that because of, you know, law and order. I was told that Martin Luther King was a troublemaker. And when two Klansmen put a bomb in the nursery of 16th Street Baptist Church and killed four young girls 40 miles from my house, they blew up four young girls in a church nursery. And I was told it's a terrible thing, but you know, they, they brought this on themselves. You get the picture. Well, I love to read. I can't remember a time in my life when I couldn't read. I know somebody had to teach me, but I've always loved it. My favorite day of school in elementary school was going to the library. That day you got to go and check out a book. And I don't remember if it was the librarian or my teacher, but I was looking for a book and one of them handed me a book and said, this book is written by an Alabama author. It's about a small town in Alabama. You should read it. And so I took the book, and I, I went home and I read it. And it was To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. To this day, it is my favorite novel. I reread it every couple of years. Because it was the first book I ever read that really challenged me to rethink what I'd always been taught. 
And as I read that book, I began to, to start questioning some of the things I'd been taught growing up. And I began to see that so much of what I'd been taught was wrong. And so I started to see the world differently. And then shortly after that, I became a Christian and I started reading the Bible, which is the uh, other book that has changed my life. And I began to understand that, that God, God is the parent of us all, all of us, and that God is no respecter of persons. So in other words, so many of the things I've been taught about white people and people of color and Jewish people and people from other countries was, was wrong. And, and when the Bible said that in Christ, there is no male or female Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, it also meant there was no black nor white. So in my journey, I have discovered three things that have been important in battling racism in my own life. One is to acknowledge that we are afraid of people we don't know and cultures we don't understand. And one of the reasons that these ideas persisted for me was because I didn't know any people of color. Everybody I knew was white. I went to a public school but everybody in my school was white. So I didn't know a single person to challenge any of the stereotypes that I'd been taught. I did not know or have a friend of color until I went to college. And, and since then, I've been friends and neighbors with folks who were African-American. I've had neighbors and friends who were Muslim and people from a host of other countries the church I pastored in Atlanta was racially and internationally diverse. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. They spoke 14 languages in our daycare. So it, it was so cool to be around just so many different people from different places. And then I pastored a church where our worship leader was a young African-American man. He was the only other staff member. So he and I met together a lot to to plan stuff for the church. We, we just hung out and ate together and did stuff. And through our friendship, I began to see a lot of things differently than I had seen it before. I listened to him tell me his story. And as I listened, it, it, it helped me tremendously because I began to see how differently things were than what I had thought. We lived in the same town but we had two totally different experiences of it. Um, I realized that we may have well lived on different continents just because of the color of our skin. When I was growing up, I was taught to be afraid of young black males. And I used to be afraid. But after spending time with him and then, you know, a lot of the musicians he would get to come and play were, were young black men and uh, we would hang out together and I got to know them and we became friends. One of the best ways to break down prejudice is to actually get to know the people you're prejudiced against. Because then you start to see things from a whole different perspective. Because we're afraid of people we don't know and we don't understand. So getting to know others who are different from us removes that fear. And the second thing I learned is that otherwise good people can harbor racism inside. When we think of racism or racist, you know, we think of somebody in a Klan robe or those people who marched in Charlotte shouting hate slogans. 
But, but racism is more subtle than that. I knew people growing up who were in the Klan. Most of them were men who provided for their families. They were respectable members of the community. They loved their wife, their children. Most of them went to church. They were considered good people. In my own battle with racism, most people would have considered me a good person long before I got a grip on how to deal with attitudes that I'd been taught as a child. Now, none of us are perfect. No matter how good we are, we struggle with something. And racism can live inside otherwise good people just like any other sin. And we have to first acknowledge it. And then we have to... uh, Pray, we have to work on it ourselves and pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to root it out. And I had to learn that the fact that I was a good person in so many other ways could blind me to the fact of this sin that was living inside of me and needed to be dealt with. And the third thing I learned is that racism is not an individual sin. It goes all the way back to slavery And the attitudes that allowed slavery and lynchings and Jim Crow are just as real and prevalent in our culture today. So it would not be enough if I were a 19th century slave owner to release my slaves. I would need to see that every slave was released. In the 1950s, it would not be enough for me to repent of my racism. I would need to see that people of color had the civil rights they were fighting for in those days. And so today, it's not enough for me to just repent of my racism and try not to be a racist personally. I need to also stand up and speak up and vote in a way that protects the rights and the decent treatment of others because our faith calls us to move beyond ourselves. It's quite Wesleyan, actually. Our faith isn't about our own personal holiness It's about making the world around us look more like the kingdom of God for everybody. So that's my story. That's what I've learned so far. When I became an adult and I read about the civil rights movement of the 60s, and then I remembered, you know, the things that I could remember from my own childhood, I've often thought, if I were a pastor in the South in the 60s, Would I have had the courage to say anything? Or would I have just kept my mouth shut? Because like a lot of pastors like me who love their job, I I trend toward coward. (laughs) Don't don't upset anybody. God knows I'm no Holly Lynn. So I'm asking for your help. Let's help each other to stand up, speak up, when we need to. Let's help each other to not be silent in the face of racism, not to pretend it doesn't exist. Albert Einstein said, the world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch them without doing anything. Evil people don't scare me anymore. I still believe that the white supremacists and the neo-Nazis in our country, I believe they're outnumbered by the rest of us. God, I hope so. We defeated them once, and I believe we'll do it again if it comes to that. They will eventually lose. From a spiritual perspective, those who hate are on the wrong side. 
They've lost the battle already. You see, I, I read the book. I know how it ends. Love wins. And so they don't, I'm not, they don't cause me fear, but sometimes I am afraid that a lot of people will suffer because good people will watch and not say or do anything. And that good people will let some politicians inflame their prejudices with fear and hate. You know, I've heard people say, and I used to say it myself, I'm not responsible for slavery. I come from a long line of poor white people. <laughs> we never owned slaves. I try not to be prejudiced. But Rabbi Abraham Heschel says it well. He said, few are guilty, but all are responsible. So it isn't about guilt. It isn't about feeling guilty. It's about simply recognizing the inequities in our culture and being willing to speak out against it and work for change. Doesn't mean you caused it. Doesn't mean you're guilty. Few are guilty. What it does mean is that we finally grasp our responsibility to do something about it. I wish I could tell you that once I repented of my sin and asked God to help me, I prayed the prayer and never had another prejudiced thought in my whole life. I wish it worked that way. But what I can tell you is that with God's help, I choose not to act on any of those thoughts. And with God's help, I can choose not even to believe any of those thoughts. And with God's help, I can choose to continue to love and treat others with dignity and respect. And I will not remain silent when those around me do otherwise. If Jesus is Lord, then following him must be placed above all other cultural and political loyalties. So this morning, I ask you to help me. Help me, encourage me to speak up. And to be faithful to the gospel of Christ that teaches love and respect for all people in all nations. Don't let me shrink back when racism needs to be confronted. And I'll do the same for you. Because we don't need to return to the days when racism and white supremacy or Nazi ideas are acceptable. We cannot be silent. We have to stand up and speak out the truth in love. We can't sit by silently and pretend it doesn't affect us. We have to take responsibility. We have to. For the sake of Willie Earl, for the sake of Michael Donnell, for the sake of James Evans, for the sake of a list that is too long to name. We have to for the sake of the gospel. We have to for the sake of our nation. We have to for the sake of our own souls. After all, God is the parent of us all. So may God help us overcome this evil with love. Amen.